0: Hello and welcome to another Pod by the Fireside with me, Gregory Alexander Sharp. You can call me Greg. This week is the fourth leg of our summer series on werewolves. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes yet, that's fine. You can listen to these in any order you like. Each one being as it is a distinct and perfectly packaged podcasting parcel in its own right. And try saying that with your werewolf nashes in. For reference, the first three episodes were Why Werewolves, Werewolf Mythology, and Werewolves at the Movies. That was last week, episode three. In this episode, we will be covering the subject of lycanthrope literature, and we're going to take a dip into some of our choices of the most significant books in the genre, apart from our own, of course. My very special guest and partner in crime for each of these werewolf focused episodes is the multi-published author and host of viral podcasting sensation, Werewolf the Podcast. It's Mr. Fenrir Thorvaldsen.
1: Hello, Fen. How's it going? Yes, it's going very well. Yeah, I'm really excited about this week's podcast, you know, after all the hours of reading I've been doing. (laughs) <laughs> the relentless
0: research that we've been putting in over the past few weeks it's all going to pay off tonight that's yeah. for sure
1: i was i was uh so glad that we held off till podcast number four for this one is it podcast number four? Yeah, it is podcast number four yeah it is yeah uh,
0: yeah otherwise right.
1: i wouldn't have been able to read all these books again it definitely takes longer to read a
0: book than it does to watch a film that's for sure definitely. um but yeah. just for reference Fen hasn't read as many books on the subject as he has watched films nobody's
1: been alive long enough to do that i'm sure i don't think nobody's been alive long enough to read that kind or write that much fiction i'm not sure
0: no no probably not so spoiler alert everyone this episode will contain some spoilers so i'm going to list the books we're going to cover in the description you can see that and you can bail out at this point if you want to and come back later For reference, we will plan to uh, speak about the following half a dozen howlers. See what I did there. The Wolf's Hour by Robert uh, McCammon. So Fen's going to take us through that first off. And then I'll speak a little bit about Werewolf of Paris by Guy Endor. Then we'll look at Sharp Teeth by Toby Barlow. The Wolf Gift by Anne Rice, famous, of course, for Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles then it will be The Last Werewolf by Glenn Duncan. And uh, then I'll round, round things off with uh, a George R. R. Martin short story, not known for writing anything short, Mr. Martin, but he did indeed write a werewolf book called Skin Trade. So with that said, and no further ado, let's just get cracking, shall we? We're sat by the fireside in our log cabin in the woods again. The plasma screen we had installed above the fireplace for werewolves at the movies last week has suffered some damage related to an incident involving a live sporting event, insert your favourite sport of choice here, and an unexpected and unsatisfactory result, and a flying shoe, perhaps an Oxford brogue or something else with a firm (laughs) heel. Whatever the case... The telly's broke. Uh, there's no films on. And that means it's books, books, books. In fact, it's lycanthrope literature, to be more precise. But what should we read? Well, Fenn, I think you're going to get us started with The Wolf's Hour, aren't you?
1: Yes, The Wolf's Hour. Um, I have to say it is one of my favourite um werewolf books because it brings together lots of things i i really like in literature it brings together spies adventure thriller as a a massive thriller and with robert mccammon he's he really knows how to do horror gore and and blood and snot really really well so you think with those combinations that you definitely get an absolutely amazing film and it, it um it it helped me create my character will into the weaponized werewolf that he was, because as you can probably guess from this, it's kind of a a weaponized werewolf in this plot because the plot basically is about a guy called Michael Gallatin and he's a British secret agent and he has a deadly secret. And that deadly secret is that he's a werewolf. And he has obviously uh-huh. all the werewolf features, which mean that he is an incredible spy of a really high level. And what do you do? You fight the Nazis in all good adventure books. When I was a kid, the the uh, plucky British soldier, or in this case, emigrant from a, a different country, would come and fight the Nazis. And he's a, a very important part in in um stopping the nazis um take over uh what's the name of the canal called (laughs) that's the one it's taking taking over the 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 canal so that they can't um take their um their stuff from one side to the other very quickly god i've lost the ability to speak sorry my my apologies yeah it's a, a brilliant book it's it's like I don't know, James Bond mixed. It looks like it's been written by Robert Ludlow. It's just a fantastic mix, mixture of stuff. It's a mishmash. There are some sections which get a bit dull and drawn out, but it's uh, it also sort of affected the way that I wrote because it, it changes its chronology as it goes along. It goes from what is happening in the moment when he's on his spy mission to do fight the Nazis. And then it, As he's doing it, he's reflecting back on the times that he, how he became a werewolf and what happened, and the the main things and the main causes that went. So, yeah, I I would really, really recommend anyone to have a, a good read of this. If if you like mix mixing genres, especially because yeah, it's it's a spy book with a bit of a thriller and a mystery, and then you put horror on top of it. How can that ever be a bad thing?
0: i'm not hearing anything
1: bad there at all um yeah i i I love it it's historical fiction it's espionage it's supernatural it's just and it's it's really well written it it can get a bit drawn out at times but i I can just see why he gets drawn out because it's such a great set of premises to jump on and when did you first read this book because i know this is this is one as you say that's had an influence
0: on on your own character development (sighs) Is this something that you read a while back or was it more
1: recent? Um, I think initially, God, I can't even remember when I read it. It was a while ago, a long time ago, long before I was developing the, I think it's 1989 is the book. Uh, And uh, yeah, I think I, I read it as a kid because it took together lots of different parts of what I was into, the, the, the kind of, um, the, the soldier side of stuff, the thriller side of stuff. And then on top of it, you had the, the werewolves thrown into it. It was, it was recommended to to me by a good friend of mine called Andy Williams, who was a Michael Moorcock buff. And I started talking about werewolves to him and he said, you need to read this book. And yeah, it kind of changed changed my image of the werewolf as it were.
0: And I suppose the possibilities of what can be done with this particular genre with a little nudge here and a little nudge there it opens up the possibilities right
1: yeah it's it's, it's kind of like uh i don't know it, it just it's good to actually see it from a monster's perspective in a way you know so like uh, i think it gave me the, the problem with this is this guy is a hero my my guy is yes. an anti-villain he's kind of the the nemesis of this character it would be a good fight if these two actually met on the battlefield i think and maybe Ooh. that might be a future Didn't you see there's <laughs>
0: ideas for werewolf the podcast uh, every
1: turn <laughs> it has to be said oh yes yes i had i had one falling over a hay bale yesterday <laughs> it was quite good
0: <laughs> and he's not kidding he has been falling over hay bales that's that's not a euphemism for anything actually by the way that's a, yes. a, a real
1: thing no i really wish it was a euphemism (laughs) for something but it's really not
0: brilliant okay so that's the wolf's hour (laughs) um so do check that out in if you google top werewolf novels of all time in in some of those lists this comes out very very close to the top if and i've seen it on a couple of those lists at the very very top so it's a highly regarded piece of literature in its own right and Uh, for aficionados of the genre it's also considered to be um you know top-notch stuff basically so so well worth it checking out
1: yeah i I mean yeah check it out it's just a it fulfills a lot of of requirements for I, I would imagine that if you're a 15 16 year old boy it's a very good for it's a very good book for that kind of thing and it doesn't have any erotic fiction in it and it doesn't have any sparkly vampires either which is quite nice and there's no romantic well there's a little bit of romanticism in it but not very much so yeah it's all good sort of uh I don't know. Am I allowed to say boyish in these days? I don't you're, know. You're
0: in a safe place here, <laughs> Fenn. You should consider this a safe place.
1: Not judging by the plasma screen.
0: The, well, no, absolutely. I mean, but we're yet to determine whose Oxford brogue that was. I mean, the audience probably make up their own mind there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, from one, uh, from one leading work of fiction in a genre to another, Right. So another novel that frequently appears at the very top of greatest werewolf novels of all time lists is the very famous Werewolf of Paris by Guy Endor, uh, which has been with us since its birth in 1933. First time I ever saw or heard of this, I assumed his name was Guy Endor because I thought he was going to be French, but of course he's, he's not. He's an American this is considered to be the seminal work of werewolf fiction by a lot of people in, and actually it's held in the same regard as sort of Dracula for the vampire genre and Frankenstein for that sort of speculative science fiction based horror. Um, and, you know, it's a, a book that's from a bygone era. So the writing style is, is very, very different from anything you would see Uh, a modern writer doing so it has that feel of antiquity about it even if it's from slightly more recently than either of those other two examples um it is at least the 20th century rather than the 19th but it's um it's held in that high esteem now endor himself uh was born samuel goldstein um and he was also known as harry relis so he's a a man of many uh, sort of personalities in his own own right there um Not a lot of people know he was nominated for an Oscar as a screenwriter um, in 1945. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a few years after the, after this book was published, he Hmm. did the screenplay for the film GI Joe, the story of GI Joe. uh, And that's considered one of the most important works of um, cinematic historical cultural significance in, in the U S and that was, he, he adapted it for the cinema.
1: Yeah.
0: So, You'll probably remember, or people will probably remember from last episode, episode number three, Werewolves at the Movies, that Curse of the Werewolf, 1961, starring Oliver Reed, was heavily based on this work. And uh, and that's still true a week later. Uh, We've you know, we got that right. We're not having to correct ourselves on that, although there is something else in this segment I'm going to correct myself on. So wait for that with bated breath. Um, so yeah the uh, curse of the werewolf as I think you mentioned last time out Fen, they shifted the location of the story to Madrid because they happened to have quite an expensive set (laughs) that they just shot a film that was based in Madrid and they used it
1: I had a I had a friend who contacted me about that who's more of a film aficionado Um, uh, because we I, I asked him about curse of the werewolf and stuff and it, apparently the film that they'd made on that set had been shelved because it was too um how can we say yes. it was too spicy to be released at the time so they they turned around and said what do we do with all this stuff <laughs> yeah i understand it had the word rape in the title oh, of it right okay
0: um yeah so it was really pushing the boundaries of decency you know this is About 1961 season. and it was i don't know how they ever agreed to do it in the first place yeah. but they lost their nerve after having invested in a whole uh, a whole cityscape yeah. essentially as a set um
1: i guess somebody's yeah. paid to make the tough calls but it's a it's a shame because They must have. They must have missed out all the. I mean, all some of the interesting background detail for this book is like the Paris Commune and all the stuff that's kind of going on in the background. You know, you got a, a semi kind of revolution happening in behind the scenes, haven't you? And I think in the book, like unlike the film, you get that taking up like a a wonderful part of the whole narrative it's 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 really it's really well written I really enjoy it. and the fact that it's a a kind of like uh, framed story that you've got a story set up within a story like the mm. old Greek kind of tragedies and things it's absolutely fantastically written and it's uh, it's pretty hardcore you would have to say for for a book
0: that was written in the 1930s oh, yeah. you know it's got some strange sexual peccadilloes in it for instance um the the protagonist uh it, um runs away from home essentially he goes to paris and uh, he starts hanging around with uh, various different types of people but he falls in with uh, i think she's the daughter of a noble person and uh, he's she's a bit kinky it turns out she's a bit of a masochist and they get into sort of Mm bloodletting sophie's her name um sophie de blumenberg i think and she they do this bloodletting thing where she permits him to cut her and ultimately actually drink her blood and that stops him from changing now they adapt that slightly in curse of the werewolf to the love of a good woman stops him from changing right (laughs) they probably learnt their lesson from the previous (laughs) occupants of the set you know and uh said well well, let's let's not go too far although
1: although (laughs) although using oliver reed i'm sure they could have put that in there anyway couldn't they you know well who knows what was happening behind the scenes you know Uh, probably
0: a lot of drinking, I imagine, of all kinds. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, for its day, I mean, that yes. was really full on, you know, and it it shocked and it appalled a lot of people, and um, and yet it became a New York Times number one bestseller when it was released. It it pretty much went straight to the top of those those charts. And yes, it is set against a backdrop of the Franco-Prussian War, um, although he doesn't get very involved in the fighting you'd say he's probably just there for for the girls um he's successful at that
1: yeah sorry he goes in, he goes into be the like the national a member of the national guard and stuff doesn't he um he has yes. he has high hopes he's students, uh but you know he has delusions of of being a useful
0: member of the military i think rather than actually uh pulling that off <laughs> uh bertrand Kale was his name i think I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname, but he's Bertrand anyway. Um, mm. and then you know, it's one of these books. I'm not giving too much away, and I did do the spoiler alert earlier. It doesn't end well for, for our man um when he starts to lose his nerve with his girlfriend. He is is worried that at some point he's going to end up killing her. So he goes out to seek the blood from elsewhere, uh, and that winds up getting him nicked. Uh, and yeah, it has a very, a very sad ending and then a real sort of twist at the end as well when it's revealed what might or might not have happened to his corpse in the ground after his death. So watch out for that twist at the end. Um, also, perhaps interestingly, uh, despite the fact that Endor actually worked for Universal, Universal Studios, uh, his book wasn't an influencer on the stories of you know, he worked for universal studios and his book was a number one bestseller. And yet they didn't pick it up to be their flagship werewolf movie. They went with, um, werewolf of London two years later. Yeah.
1: I think, I think looking at, I think looking at the structure of the book though, that there's a hell of a lot to pack into a film. There, you're going to have to cut out so much of the material, aren't you? And especially, Mm. um, the spicy side of it as well you know it's kind of like it must have been quite difficult for um how can you say the producers to get any kind of funding for that kind of film at that time they would have had to heavily i mean the 1960s i can see it starting to be a much more acceptable film but you know i don't know
0: and even so by the 60s they did change the premise of quite a bit of it to make it a bit more digestible
1: yeah mm. yeah yeah I, I mean it's a it's a, an incredible it is an incredible book it's so so well written um yeah I I uh just did a quick flash through it quick read through it the as and I have put it back on my list of things that I need to really go back and reread in full um so yeah that was a fantastic book
0: so in an earlier podcast, I'd said Frederick March was the lead character in Werewolf London, the actor that played the lead character. And he, of course, was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of around the same the same period in history. Uh the lead the lead actor in Werewolf of, of London was, I think, Henry Hull was his name. Um, so I just want right. to correct myself there. Um in any case, in any case. 1961 the book did finally inspire a film and then again in 1975 with legend of the werewolf which starred peter cushing even though it starred peter cushing it wasn't a hammer film it was a, a tyburn film production and if you see it it looks and feels like a hammer movie and it's got peter cushing in it and you would never know the difference yeah um and it's set in nineteenth-century Paris. It's it's very much the film that we've uh, a film of the book that we've been discussing, um, but Endor is not credited. So enough, perhaps, with the werewolf of Paris and onto sharp teeth.
1: Yes, um, this book is. It's one of those books you're either going to love or hate because the prose in it is very sparse um but it's like it's like he's just cut everything out that's not necessary um so there's no long beautiful sort of romanticized sentences or you know there's no long descriptions or anything like anything like that it's just straightforward very gritty to the points um and it is written like a poem Uh, Mm -hmm. some people have said it's like uh what's it called like a you, you don't call them comics do you because adults read them they're not comic books are they what are they call these days uh, graphic novel yeah that's the one that's it then we're not allowed to call them comics anymore we <laughs> no, call them comic gr- comics for grown-ups yeah comics <laughs> for grown-ups it's um some some people have said it's like a a, a graphic novel without any pictures and um i i can see wow. that because um it's very sparse it's very sparse but It's amazing in the fact that it's so sparse and has so little detail yet. It's so wonderful to picture. And it, again, it had an effect on me because up to then I I thought you would have to go into great detail of explaining how your characters looked and how they felt. And if they had a tear in their eye and blah, 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 blah. And, um, it was with this book when he describes, he describes like as like as a beautiful woman, who's one of the characters and you fill in the gaps and i think that's a fantastic way of doing things at times is to actually let your audience use that imagination you don't have to go into fine detail and um, it takes place in los angeles where there is three packs of werewolves and it's from the point of view of uh, a dog catcher. Now, the the werewolves in in this spend their time as humans and as dogs. So you can imagine being a dog catcher in Los Angeles and accidentally catching these dogs can often end up with you capturing a human who changes its form into a dog. And it's the kind of uh, it's kind of a a strange. Um, interaction between three characters and this Anthony um character that he falls in love with this mysterious woman lark who captures uh, Anthony's heart uh and when he gets to know her he gets into this world with the werewolf people and it has wonderful bits in it of uh things like dog fighting which aren't particularly wonderful but uh You can imagine what werewolves are like within dog fighting and um successful i would think (laughs) (laughs) yeah and competitive bridge which is a bit of Um... a a bit of a mixture yeah um yeah so it it's a fantastic i I don't want to go into too much detail with it because out of all all the werewolf books that i've read if you want something that's actually going to change the way you think it depends from a, I think from an author's point of view or from a writer's point of view uh, especially if you if you're writing sh- like my my main story form is very short stories mm-hmm. and you've got to pack a lot of information into not very much writing i i, I limit myself to 3000 words for a story uh and with, the I, yeah, with the podcast yeah with the podcast yes okay <laughs> <laughs> with what yeah with the, with the podcast so this really helped inspire me into you can let you can let your listener or you can let your reader do a lot of filling in the gaps you don't have to fill in every single gap you don't have to go into great detail about how the daffodils look on the hill as he's walking past them and all that kind of stuff you can just say there's some daffodils on a hill and they can all the yellow flowers or i don't know but yeah it's it's very very good it's very gritty and very atmospheric and it it reminds me of um sort of the old noir films mm-hmm. in your head well that's how i saw it but again i think every reader will have their own kind of perception an idea of how it looks in their own head so if you want to if you want something where you can really explore your own imagination this is it if you're not the kind of reader that that likes that that like and you do like long descriptions and um i can't remember the writer who wrote a book that was an entire sentence but it was like 199 pages in one sentence wow but like um yeah i i would give this a miss but it's an absolutely fantastic werewolf book it looks at it in a very different light and it is a graphic novel but without the pictures because you do the pictures yourself and as i say it changed the way i wrote for a a big deal brilliant
0: brilliant i have to say the the idea of um taking the reader on a journey to the just to the point where they can imagine what's happening and then letting go of them uh is something i kind of like i i almost feel as though sometimes i almost feel as though a writer can be lazy and just give you everything yeah because that because somehow that's easier for them to do than it is to tantalize you yeah. into this but nudge you into this position where you scare the crap out of yourself almost yeah um or you horrify yourself with what you've uncovered in your own imagination i think that's hard work to get them there
1: and and, and do that uh, and it's a skill with, with this one with this one to 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 try and write it as well as he's written it and it to fill in all the gaps. I don't know how he did it because I've I've tried it, and then I've given out um, pieces of, of 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 work to people, and it's really hard for them. If you miss out just a, f- a few points, then they don't get it. Uh-huh. But he just has enough. So I don't know how he, did it. he. I don't know if he 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 wrote it and then got lots of people to read it and give him feedback and cut out bits and st- i have no idea but if he did it just from straight out of his head onto the paper then it, or whoever his editor is is a genius i don't know but it, please go read this book it's it's really really worth reading and even the even the book cover and everything is just something different it's just yeah it's just it is a one-off it really is it's a bit like the Wolf Sour is a bit of a a mishmash of genres. This one is—it's a writer's book to learn how to write in a very sort of sympathetic style to your reader. Interesting.
0: Uh, great insight as well into the discipline of writing three thousand word episodes for Werewolf the Podcast. That is—that is a real discipline, you know, to uh, to, to to make yourself do that. Oh, yeah. Because you you have no time to mess around. Do you, you you know, you, if you, if you want to make a point in your podcast, you've got to make it.
1: Yeah. It's about half a chapter for other writers, you know? So like trying to fit an entire story and then at the start of the podcast as well, we should talk about Mm. this in the, the next podcast, I'm sure. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's trying to, trying to bring, your listener into the story who may have never heard another episode. So you've got to reintroduce all your characters and then you've got to start your story. So it is it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. But uh, I've given myself 3000 words or mm-hmm. or 32 minutes. That's the that's the precise kind of thing that I've done with it, because my brain switches off normally after about 32 minutes of listening to something. So that's my, that's my get out clause.
0: <laughs> well, ironically with 31 minutes and 55 seconds into this recording, so we're about to lose Fen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and goodbye
0: from him. I couldn't have timed that any better. There you go. We we didn't plan that and that actually was the timing on the clock there folks, I promise you. Uh anyway, with that said, let's uh let's move on to 2012. Um it's it's Anne Rice famous for the Vampire Chronicles and it's The Wolf Gift. Now, I may dedicate some episodes of this podcast to vampires as well at some point in the future and not just the Ooh. not just the preening um balletic uh Ooh. you know um dancing and uh pirouetting vampires that that we've come across in recent times um but some of the traditional ones too and i read every one of ann rice's vampire chronicles books and the couple that she did under the banner of new tales of the vampires as well and i can tell you interview with the Vampires, one of my favorite books of all time i
1: loved that fantastic book. book it is a brilliant book the yes. very I first one on yeah well she, she does she does a she does a very good job for the first few yes years, i think she's on about 31 with the wolf's gift or 33 or something is well
0: it? she she'd done she was way way past a dozen i think in terms of the vampire chronicles and and many mm-hmm. many more with the mayfair witches and all sorts of other one-offs and things yeah. that she's done and i read a few of those too um I, I felt as though with the vampire chronicles she started really well and she peaked in book two with the vampire lestat and then somehow it sort of drifted away from the feeling that i got with those first two books which was both of them had a real sense of a traditional old school vampire and some incredibly dis- descriptive prose that made me feel like i was in for instance new orleans or paris yeah right yeah. the two great centers of those stories and um they w- they w- were massively influential on me as a writer as well you know you You've read my first book. It's very descriptive of Italy. Oh yeah, it's beautifully done. Yeah. Well, thank you. And a lot of the feedback I've, I've had is that you know, oh, you describe the country in such a way that makes me want to be there or make me feel yeah. like I am there in some way. Well, I absolutely draw that from the inspiration that I got from those first two
1: Anne Rice books. So I should go yeah. on the record and say that. Oh, she's she she is a fantastic she, she is a fantastic writer, but. I, probably like yourself the i mean the the first book for me is like a standalone piece yes and then it it, i mean it feels like she's gone oh that did really well (laughs) (laughs) i'll do another one of them and then oh god that did really well as well i'll do another one of them so like i think from my point of view like she's kind of she's i think she does pretty well for a few books and then she kind of runs out of places to go and things to see as as it were you know she's i mean she's probably a lot like me and has never planned where anything's ever going to go in its entire entirety but yeah i've got a feeling that you said yourself when you write chapter one you and chapter two you shouldn't have thrown all the story into those two yeah Um, yeah but yeah the, the first book the second book's pretty good with well, third books okay when I got to the wolf's gift I was like it's it's okay um it's yeah. very Anne Rice and if you're an Anne Rice fan it's good yeah yeah um yeah it's it's not a bad book by any means I mean it'd still be published as a standal standalone series in itself now I think if it went to a publisher or to an agent I agree I agree but, but like it's not it's not what she's turned out at the start no and and you know i've i've read every
0: single one of those vampire chronicles books and i got increasingly disappointed with them towards the end i suppose you know when we wound up in atlantis and lestat became a prince and things like that i was all a a bit like hmm but i kept buying the books and i kept reading them because i was really invested in those characters right over those over the years and over the those volumes i'd become very invested in them and i didn't have that history in 2012 when i read this first book in a new series a series that only Mm. tragically ran to two books um so i was a bit "Mm." It, Mm. it was a christmas gift from my Wife. So I smiled when I said that I, I loved it. Um, <laughs> but she knows me and she could see through me. I didn't love it. I just kind of liked it. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't hate it by any
1: stretch of the mark. I, also, also she's dealing with a very different monster, isn't she? Yes. Do you know what I mean? And I don't want to, uh, I'm, I'm probably cognizant of this in myself. She's very good at doing the, the vampire Um, but she did a werewolf vampire really in a, in this one. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, all right. He's the confused lost creature who doesn't know if he's guilt torn or not, but yeah, I, it's, I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't, he's not the monster. He's not the, the beast of a werewolf that I'd really, really want him to be. He's a, he's still this kind of nice, sort of a, a feat character with, with a an evil in a bit inside him i don't know he's yeah a bit, he's a bit and i'm not it, i'm
0: not even convinced the evil bit's that evil
1: no I, I, he's i think he spends a lot of time confused doesn't he yeah. about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing and how bad a werewolf being a werewolf really is um yeah i don't i don't, I, I don't know I, it's not her finest novels but i think it it's a very good book. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I feel about it.
0: It is a good yeah. <laughs> book, right? And yeah, I shouldn't yeah. try and judge it by the standards of no. either her work at the beginning of the Vampire Chronicles series or by yeah. the standards of some other more horrific werewolf books. But it's a very yeah. successful piece of commercial f- fiction. Um, and I think it's, it comes at a point in uh, literary history and movie history where werewolves were starting to be viewed as more of a sympathetic character, not necessarily the baddie, not necessarily no, pure I, or evil. I really like that, yeah. So I don't know if she was yeah, hooking yeah, into like... the trend because she was good at that. Yeah. Right, she was a trendsetter, uh, and yeah. and then she moved with the times. Yeah. If you look at the books that she wrote, um, so I wonder. I wonder there might be a bit of that about it. I mean, I kind of felt mm. like you were talking about because there are a number of werewolves in that book by the time you you get through it right and you they're a bit like a wayward band of superheroes um yeah and
1: that's okay well it's it it, it it was a there was a move in not necessarily literature but in sort of modern ethos that, that werewolves and vampires became um but I suppose it was with things like blade and stuff wasn't it they they became it became an action adventure yes. genre instead of a yes a horror genre. do you know what I mean I think that's uh, I think that was the change we saw really, wasn't it?: Yeah,
0: I think you hit the nail on the head there yeah, yeah, and i I do think you've you've hit that squarely on, and so for anyone who's thinking about buying this book, I think that's what you're getting you're getting an exciting action adventure. It's not a horror yeah. werewolf book,
1: no, no. It, and it, again, it's um, someone questioning, questioning themselves and the 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 reflection of themselves between good and evil and all that kind of what is good. You know, it's. I mean, it's it's very. I should really be quiet. I sound like I know what I'm talking about. It's, but it's very. It's a very good book. Yeah.
0: That's kind of why you're here, Fen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Just so you know, you know.
1: Yeah, but it, it it feels really it feels really bad when you've got such a successful right. author. Like ah, yeah. and I'm sorry, she, she could have made close. it a bit more scary <laughs> how many books have you shifted yeah uh, how many millions have you made oh still yeah. still working on the first one <laughs> yeah. yeah there we go yeah she's great i'll tell you what she was great
0: she was great uh this just isn't necessarily the oh, yeah. finest hour it's it's very well written it's it's a good book Let's leave it there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So um, it it wasn't her last werewolf book. That was uh, the Wolves of Midwinter. This is a segue I'm trying to create here. Uh, But when we talk about the Last Werewolf,
1: that's a novel in its own right, isn't it, Fen? Yeah. Um, Well, there's there's three parts to it. Um, Yeah. Again, this is a a very very well written piece um it follows the life of uh, jacob marlowe and he is the last surviving werewolf they've been hunted down out of existence and um it spends a lot of time looking at his life and how he feels and his lonely existence and how over the centuries he's, he's been sort of beaten down over the years and all that kind of the usual kind of stuff in this kind of thing. And then he meets uh, a female werewolf who is pregnant with a werewolf baby. And then he becomes determined that he's going to protect her against Woe Cop's clutches. Uh, Woe Cop is um, this band of people who are trying to kill off the World Organization for the Control of the Occult. So they're trying to stop all supernatural things happening. So they're trying to find this woman and kill off the baby. So he's uh so there's three books in total and it, it follows the story throughout the three books. But again, it is it's really, really, really well written. Um the depth in which it goes into is just phenomenal. And when you say with Anne Rice, you you start to feel something for the characters in this Jacob, you just you just feel heartbroken most of the time for this guy. He just, he, he has nothing at all in life. You know, he's so miserable. He can't really get out of it. He just carries on and carries on and and he just gets beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And then he has something to live for uh, when this baby comes along. Um, Is it his baby? We don't know. Because if it's not... How did it become a werewolf? That's it's a good question. We don't really know um, Mm. unless I missed something, which I might do with my reading skills. But um, yeah, um, well, he is. He's thought to be that he thinks he's the last werewolf. Let's put it that way. I don't want to give too much away. But then she comes along and maybe, yeah, there might be more to it, if you know what I mean. Um, Understood yeah uh but it, it's a great look at philosophy i love i love characters who think deeply about stuff i don't have chance really to go into deep philosophy in my own own writing three thousand words although last my last episode was uh <laughs> somewhat yeah. strange but um you opened you open
0: pandora's box a bit with that one
1: yeah but um I just, I just like the way that he's, he looks at his life, and he's very dismissive, and then he just needs something to live for, and it comes along basically. It's, and yeah, it's. The more I look at the books I love about werewolves, it's got, it's not about the horror that the werewolf, it's about the loneliness or the difficulty of being how it separates them out from humanity, and you know, it's it. it, it It's just a, it's just a great series. I would just recommend it to anyone. It's, it's one of those, but there are very few books afterwards that you put down and you still keep questioning things within it. Like, why did he do that? Or what was the purpose? Or I, I always remember three weeks after thinking, oh, right, I understand now what, oh, while normally you get to the happy ever after and you put close the book and you go, Oh, that was good. You know, or you go, I can't wait till the next one with this series. I got to the end of the series and you were still like, and it wasn't that he'd missed out any part of the story. It wasn't missed out any of the details. You were, He was asking questions that he couldn't really answer himself. And he was in asking the questions for himself, he's making you ask those questions about your own life, if you know what I mean. And that's kind of, I think that's really inspiring if you if you come away from a book putting yourself in the position of the character and and feeling for the character and then noticing maybe even a part of that character within yourself if you know what i mean you know we all need something to live for so yet again I, i really recommend it it's really well done as a as a werewolf outcast
0: it's uh it's quite a beautiful concept that it's very it's actually very human yeah the loneliness uh, the despair and then that being turned around by some kind of human connection it's um it's
1: quite touching isn't it yeah i mean he uh, he he really struggles that he's got this violent side to himself and he's tormented by it which is the classic werewolf thing um he, and then on top of that he's like wait i'm the last of my own kind what do i you know it's it's so conflicting um again with with my character i wanted the opposite of that i wanted the character who just did not care you know while this guy actually genuinely gives his heart he's broken by the fact of what he is and he has to get through it you know but with my character i, I kind of went the opposite way that haha i'm a werewolf you're not na 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 nah. you know it's kind of <laughs> like it's an entirely yeah. different different thing and if, if you're coming for me don't worry i'm coming back for you while this character's of the opposite. He just wants to hide away and disappear kind of thing. You know what I mean? Until he gets a reason to live.
0: So yeah, he's a monster who has retained his humanity on some level.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I don't really want to break it for people. Well, go, go read it because if it doesn't make you think afterwards, then, um, if you've answered all the questions by the end of it, then you're a far better person than I, because it does ask you some very difficult questions.
0: There we go. So on to Skin Game, George R. R. Martin, he of Game of Thrones fame. Um, it's a novella. Mm. It's a short novel, which he's not known for. He's known for books that are about 900 pages long, right? um so a novella is a rare thing indeed for him and he did indeed write a werewolf novel in 1989 uh sounds like it was a good year possibly for for werewolf fiction that year Mm. got the award for the best i think the best horror novella in 1989 something like that and it was also nominated for the prestigious bram stoker award uh, that same year Uh, it was made into comic books a few years later uh, and there were rumors that it was going to be made into a film now it does seem and this is in the public domain so i whilst i'm going to tread carefully here because there's legal action involved this is all information Ooh. i've i've <laughs> gathered from the public domain allegedly. so i'm not re- i am not reporting any of this i'm just repeating it allegedly um, <laughs> so some may allege uh there, is this microphone on? <laughs> <laughs> so it seems as though there was a contract with a film studio. I won't even name them. I better not. No, just in case. An alleged film studio. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was a film studio. Maybe. <laughs> uh, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and uh, <laughs> they were going to make this book into a film. And it seems as though perhaps they didn't crack on with that at quite this. Sp- speed that the author had anticipated and he said well look, give me the rights back you're not doing it i mm. want the rights back i'll get someone else to i'm famous now yeah i'm going to get someone else to do it and they were like oh no, no, no. we want to do it we want to do it but they for some reason they just weren't in the place they wanted to be in in right. order to do it so so he took legal action against them and the, ru- the rumor is that um they cobbled together a cast and a little bit of a set and they shot a scene thereby demonstrating their intent to make the film, but the the intent may not have been there. Um, and George Martin described it as putting up a gazebo (laughs) when, (laughs) when a skyscraper had been promised. Um, (laughs) So I think that's ongoing. It does seem as though with the success of game of Thrones and house of house of the dragon, or is it house of dragons? One of them. Um, which is excellent, by the way. I thoroughly enjoyed Season 1 of that. Mm. Uh, With the success of everything and how famous he's become, I imagine film studios are are desperate to get their hands on the rights to to make that film. It would be a hit, there's no doubt about it. it.
1: I love him as a writer. He was the... He was the first time I'd ever read something where he goes into so much detail. He spends an entire chapter basically destri- describing a character, its lineage, its and you're like, God, this character's going to be so important. La, la, la. Oh, he does this, and he's that, and he's that, and now he's dead. <laughs> and now he's dead. Like, what? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: They did that beautifully in Game of yeah. Thrones. There was a chap from... from- dawn uh who came over and he was gonna he was gonna kill uh whoever that gigantic mountain, the, the mountain, mountain whatever a,
1: the viper or something and he,
0: and he had the sort of um single combat the fight to the death yeah and he's kicking his guy's ass oh from yeah from here to kingdom come but in a traditional um you're not going to survive this fight kind of a way he's getting
1: everything off his chest while he's doing it <laughs> yeah I, lo- I love that yeah it's the, it's the same guy who plays boba fett isn't it is it not bob uh the Mandalor- mandalorian the is the same actor, is it yeah ah but it's okay. the perfect actor for it because he's like, i will take your head back and all that kind of yeah. stuff and it's absolutely yeah. fantastically done yeah and then of
0: course you know
1: yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> <But> what,
0: what, <laughs> he doesn't
1: get out of there entirely alive. But what you know. that did for me was because it was, it I think it was in his um, songs of fire and ice. Or so, and I remember reading this chapter and then after, it, it, it reminds me of martial arts because you only sell your first fake by actually making the move. So if you want to, if you want to be able to fake a jab, then you throw the jab so that it lands yeah. and they go, right, it's... that's coming now. So then through the rest of the book, I'm like, oh shit, this is a really important character. He's probably gonna kill him. Is this character gonna live? Is this character gonna die? And then you're like, oh my God, I don't know if this character's gonna. <laughs> yeah. This writer's got me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Cause like, traditionally you'd be able to say, well, this character's the hero and he's gonna live right to the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah no no you're gonna get through many characters before the end (laughs) what's what's gonna happen to oh this one can't survive this one's a bit crap he's only gone into three sentences and then in book four that character comes into their own where they're this great hit, and you're like wow that's so beautifully done maybe i should plan ahead (laughs) (laughs) well you know Uh, this this book is
0: at 140 pages that's almost an introduction to a character that he kills off in um (laughs) game of Thrones, right he tells the whole story in 140 pages which i think shows that he's a bit of a chameleon when it comes to to writing that he can actually get that stuff out there it's
1: yeah
0: it's a really good story in its own right 140 odd pages or 143 i think and it's about um Uh, a city which is you know a once beautiful city perhaps and there's a a character by the name of Randy Wade and she's got a friend whose name is Willie and um, Randy's uh, a private investigator and her father was killed many years before by possibly a wild animal right and um, Willie's friends start to get killed many years later by possibly uh, a serial killer possibly a wild animal yeah so willie asks randy to get involved in helping him solve this uh, this mystery and uh, find out what's going on and then she finds out that the town is occupied by lycanthropes mm. and that actually the Randy and his, uh, the Willie, rather, and his friends are lycanthropes, right? And they're being murdered. Yeah, nice twist. Yeah. So the lycanthrop, the werewolves in this book are actually being both sort of baddies and goodies at the same time. Yeah, uh, or victims at least, not necessarily goodies, but baddies and victims, you would say.
1: Yeah, it's like, uh, like, like a bit like the underworld sort of background idea, isn't it? You know, you've got your your werewolves as the poor things that are being killed off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah
0: um yes 1989 this came out still no film yet um and no official word of one but rumors do seem to be abounding that it's going to it's going to happen one day it came out in a in an anthology three short stories right one one of them was by george R R martin and i think that one of the other two was a stephen king i can't remember what it was called um, oh, a,
1: was it a werewolf book no it was a, no it a, wasn't stephen king did one way he did,
0: yeah. yeah. No, that was a full novel. Uh, this was three short stories or three novellas um, mm-hmm.
1: wrapped up into into a horror anthology. There's an amazing there's an amazing interview with um, Stephen King and uh, George R. R R Martin on on stage, being questioned by members of the audience, and it's it is incredible to see two vastly different authors and how they write. And how they do things. Because you've got uh, Stephen King who would, he guarantees that he's going to write 2,000 words a day. It right. doesn't matter. He writes 2,000 words a day and then he stops. And then you've got George R.R. Martin who's saying, oh, I don't do that a month. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said, How on earth can you do that? I can't write 2,000 words in a month. And then you've got, um Stephen King who basically flies by the seat of his pants he just sets off writing and then you've got George I. R. R. Martin who's planned out everything to immaculate detail you know so it's kind of kind of an interesting interview it's out there on YouTube somewhere
0: I will be checking that out
1: yeah.
0: um I'm sort of halfway between a planner and a pantser um, and we'll probably get into that next week when we talk about our own our own work but yeah Uh, with mine I sort of start with a bit of an outline I plan a bit of an outline of what I'm going to do and then I roundly ignore it
1: (laughs) (laughs) write the real story (laughs) write the real story yeah
0: I normally start at the start point I would planned and then that's where I start to diverge from it you know
1: (laughs) well I, I find I find one of my most difficulty things is to stay stay on task because like I'll get I'll get sidelined i remember writing one about a werewolf in a florist's and ending up talking about the beautiful cherry blossoms in japan and i'm like where did that come from i <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotta get back on t- track here yeah but never mind the, yeah the crazy world of the werewolf author folks. yeah <laughs> yeah it is a bit strange no i i think there's there's many more books on top of those that really stand out but those are the those are my the one the the three that i mentioned are the three that really stand out for me and, and how they affected how i look on it and now looking at them none of them are the traditional werewolf jump out killer in the woods book at all so i'm a bit no they're not i, I didn't actually notice that until we just got to the end of the podcast it was like none of them are a traditional kind of gothic werewolf novel by any means you know i suppose I, yet again i suppose something like um, sherlock holmes hound of the baskervilles to yeah. me is like a, a classic werewolf novel which is a bit of one of my favorites as, as it is a film as well so maybe yes. that's my classic werewolf novel even though it's not a werewolf novel but then, yeah you know,
0: it has that feel about it though right it yeah. really the spookiness of it and the yeah the, the fear um that that builds with each chapter in that book yeah uh it's what you want from a, a gothic werewolf yeah story
1: i think i think if you can if you can turn around and make a very scary novel about um, a bit of a dog uh then you're doing pretty well like it was stephen king with cujo and stuff the, the way that he can you know make a such a thing so terrifying you know it's uh yeah it's incredible but Aye, yeah, I, th- I think we did all right with the with the literary stuff. I'm quite impressed. I,
0: yeah, I think, that, I think that's, I'll tell you what, if anybody out there listening to this podcast reads any of these books, I'd love to hear from you. You can get our socials from the description. We've both taken a step of doing a link tree, so you can click on that link and that'll take you to a list of all our socials, Facebook, Twitter, you name it,
1: it's all there. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. We both would with your experience in these books definitely yeah please please get please get in contact one of the things that i i live off on werewolf the podcast is interaction with the listeners i really do the the more they the more they get in contact the more effect that they have on the stories and the the journey that my characters take so yeah uh, and these books have changed and if you spot things in those books that i didn't see please tell me because i am a bit stupid at times and miss huge amounts of information yeah so yeah go for it (laughs) and the
0: next week is going to be
1: the fifth and final point
0: on our podcast pentagram i've been alliterating quite hard here this week fifth and final point on a podcast pentagram (laughs) (laughs) so uh, next week episode five fifth point on the pentagram um we're going to be talking about our own stuff A little bit here werewolf the podcast we're going to deep dive into that and my first novel il lupo and the upcoming sequel to that kill and cure i hope you'll join us for that we'll be talking very broadly about not just our books and our podcasts but everything that's inspired us and what we've been trying to achieve with that work as well so i think you'll enjoy it Um, whether you're an avid listener or reader of our stuff or not i think you'll enjoy the the conversation um, and we hope to see you there yeah definitely so as i say link trees in the description um, that's oh hang on a minute i think i can hear a i can hear a vehicle pulling up outside i think it's the tv repair man he's come, <laughs> he's come to fix the plasma screen that's good news isn't it we can get back back to watching movies next week if we like yeah. so until next time it's good night from both of us we'll, we'll catch up with you next week cheers yeah bring me sunshine (laughs) (laughs) nice one